And actually, I'm thankful for this arrangement because in my being, uh, caused by the Spirit, is a very powerful constriction which channels everything in me to speak with intense focus on a most precious matter. And at least for this conference, nothing else matters. Nothing. And that is, we need to have a very profound realization, profound not only in the nature of it, but in the impact of it. Every genuine believer knows that the Bible prophesies the return of the Lord Jesus in glory. And in the United States in particular, those who care about prophecy in their way pay attention to things like who is the Antichrist, where will, when will the final battle at Armageddon be fought, all of these things. Well, the Lord will need to drastically deal with a rebellious enemy who reaches the point of fighting directly against God. And he will need to deal with human government, which, although it was established by God to maintain the semblance of order on earth, actually exalts man and rebels against God. So the Lord will come as that smiting stone and strike the ten toes of Antichrist's kingdom, namely in Europe. He will come with his army to deal with the armies of Antichrist. He will abolish human government. But before he does that, he will do something else. And this something else matters to him more than anything else. Three and a half years or so prior to the events I briefly described, the Lord will come secretly. When he comes openly, he will be like the sun of righteousness. There will be an undeniable, irrefutable manifestation of the glorified God-man Jesus now returning with all authority to establish his reign over all the earth. But when he comes secretly, he will be the morning star. While those who slumber, spiritually speaking, his lovers, his overcomers, will be exceedingly watchful. And they will see the bright morning star. Then the Lord will come for them, not as the king, not as the warrior, but as the bridegroom. He is coming first 
as the bridegroom. And obviously, the bridegroom will come and finally is able to come because the bride has made herself ready. I don't care how someone interprets current events, who they think the Antichrist might be. These are <clears throat> easily, these are matters easily arranged by the Lord through His sovereignty. But <clears throat> where's the bride? Who really deeply cares about the bride? The messages outlines are short, allowing sufficient time to release the actual burden from the Lord. Even way back in John 3, the Apostle John testified, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. And that chapter, everybody knows, speaks about God sending His only Son that we may believe in Him and have eternal life. That chapter speaks of being born of the Spirit. But the goal of that chapter, the goal of our receiving eternal life and being born of God, is to become part of the bride. In Matthew 9, when the religious ones were criticizing him and his disciples for dining with publicans and sinners, he referred to himself as the bridegroom. How can they be sad when the bridegroom is with them? When he's not with them, then they can fast. The Lord's view of himself in relation to us is not only that he's the Redeemer and the Savior, but that he's the Bridegroom. I am freshly impressed from the clear record in the New Testament that whether we are graced to live until the Lord's coming and be raptured live, or whether we must finish our course and die. Whether we live or die, our life must be governed by the intention to prepare ourselves to be part of the bride. Consider the well-known parable in Matthew 25 about the ten virgins. They all had lamps, they all had oil in their lamps. According to the strict and proper interpretation, all of them slept, that means they died. This indicates the majority of the believers will die before he comes. And they will die in two kinds of spiritual condition. And when they are resurrected, they will be in two drastically different states. 
the prudent or the wise virgins realize they need oil in their vessel. The vessel being the human soul. The oil being the spirit. They know that in order to be qualified to enter into the wedding feast as the bride, they, during their lifetime, must not only have oil in their lamp, the lamp that signifies the human spirit, they must take advantage of the time allocated to them to buy oil, to pay the price, to be saturated with the Spirit so that they may end this life as my wife ended her life with the clear and peaceful realization of being ready. But so many precious believers throughout the ages were never properly taught never were told the kingdom truth, the truth concerning the overcomers, the bride, the marriage dinner of the Lamb. And so they passed away with just enough of the divine life to make them a child of God. But we are blessed but we are also responsible along with the blessing. We are blessed to know that it is the overcomers who will actually consummate God's purpose in this age. It is the overcomers who will be the bride in the first stage. And so we have as the subject the preparation of the bride. And I read three verses from Revelation 19. And let's listen to them anew and set aside our familiarity. Let us rejoice and exult and let us give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. His wife has made herself ready. And it was given to her that she should be clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are they who are called to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Last Wednesday night, as part of a series of messages related to the failures of the church, the degradation of the church, the overcomers in the church, and the sages of the church, I gave a very particular message on the first love. 
and linked to that as I had to do because of the Lord's burden to the bride's love for the bridegroom. The first love is the best love, not chronologically, but in quality. It is the supreme love which gives Christ a preeminence in all things. And then I shared something which, in a limited way, I want to share with you now. It doesn't get more personal and direct than this. I was last here almost exactly six months ago. I flew out of LAX on March 17th, the day after we buried my wife, one day after. And so I came here going through, starting to go through all that's involved, but not ruled by it and not defined by it but suffering because of it. But now, six months later, I'm here in a very different state. I can't go into the experiential details now. There'll be a time. But in recent weeks, I've come to a remarkable realization clearly stated in Song of Songs and in the fourth stanza of the first hymn we sang. Love is as strong as death. I came to know death at close range as never before. For like you, I had suffered all kinds of losses, like all of us. But this was the greatest. But Song of Songs indicates that there is a love like a burning fire. It's a flame of Jehovah. It's as strong as death. Many waters cannot quench it, nor do floods drown it. And as the Spirit helped me to understand what is going on in my own being, this consuming fire of love, I began to realize this is how the Lord needs His bride to love Him. Not with a tepid, lukewarm, kind of formal expression of love, but with an intensity and a focus that causes him to realize I am the unique object of this dear one's love and affection, just as she remains the object of my love and affection. I died for her. She was the joy set before me when I was on the cross. There is a deep longing in the Lord 
for his counterpart. And he will not come back, no matter what the prophecy buffs say. They can write books about being left behind and sell millions of copies and make movies. It's all trash. It's all a distraction. It all is a deviation from what is most in the Lord's heart. Last night, I had the privilege of speaking to students on the Harvard campus. And it was left to me to seek the Lord for the subject, so I spoke on the God of purpose and the purpose of God. The God of purpose is revealed in Ephesians 1.5, who purpose in himself something wonderful. The purpose of God is mentioned in Ephesians 1.11, on God's eternal purpose. And at a certain point, I defined what God's eternal purpose is, the reason for which he created all things. And that purpose is shown by the beginning and the end of the Bible. In Genesis 2, you have a couple. The female produced because it was unbearable for the man to be alone. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, you have a couple. You have a husband, the bridegroom, the redeeming God. You have the bride, the wife, a corporate person. And the splendor of this marriage couple, married couple is so great, it will require a new heaven and a new earth to contain it. God's purpose is to get married. When John was addressed by the angel in Revelation 21, the angel said, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He was carried away in spirit to a high mountain. Then he saw the new Jerusalem. But the city was called the bride, the wife. So it's a person, not a metropolis. It's a person. And the last vision in the Bible is a vision of the bride, the wife. This is the last thing the true and living God revealed to us. What could be more emphatic to show us everything ends not with abolishing human government, not merely with dealing with the enemy. Everything consummates with this glorious bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then almost to the very end of Revelation 22, the Spirit, the process God, and the bride speak as one. So God's purpose 
is to have a divine romance that produces a counterpart for the redeeming God and consummates in two stages. In the first stage, you have a miniature of the bride composed of the victorious believers who lived for this. They will be in the wedding feast of the Lamb for a thousand years. They will be invited to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. Blessed are they who are called to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. This is not a call to salvation. This is a call to those who prepared themselves in every way to be part of the bride. While they are going through all the stages and experiences of human life, outwardly, suffering the common things, going through heartbreaking things, taking care of all of our human responsibilities, Intrinsically, in their being, they're doing something else. Because their existence is not the meaning of their existence. The meaning of their existence is the preparation of the bride. So I can tell you, this is one of you, as your brother, I breathed for the bride. I live for this. Everything in my being, every relationship, whatever happens, it's all for her. So that the desire of the Lord's heart to have a counterpart who will match him will be fulfilled. I have no idea apart from what is revealed in Matthew 25, what the Lord may say to the overcomers. But maybe to some, he might say something like this. I am welcoming you into my marriage feast because your life on earth contributed to the preparation of my bride to fulfill the desire of my heart. You did not love the world, although you lived in it. You did not love anyone or anything more than me. You allowed me to rescue you from spiritual selfishness so that you would saved from preoccupation with your spiritual condition. And you allowed me to redirect your inner being so that you are were aligned with me and you cared for what I cared for. You lived for what I died for. That is the bride.
Revelation 19.7 makes something very clear. His wife has made herself ready. This clearly indicates that on our part, there needs to be a lot of organic activity taking place in coordination with the Lord's operation in us. We're not here just passive. We lie here passively and God does everything. Surely, in a romance, and I admit I'm old-fashioned, the man should take the lead, but there needs to be a response. A response to match the lead. Let the man take the risk. Let him pay the price. When he finally proposes, he opens the little box with the metal circle with the mineral on top and he says whatever he wants to say. She doesn't just sit there passively saying nothing. Passivity equals no. There is an active response to the Lord's operation. It's not self-improvement. It's not self-effort. It is an organic response in life. So, here's the situation. We will either make ourselves ready or we will not. I'm not interested in expounding the Bible. That's not my portion. It's already been opened up. I want to be part of this fulfillment. His wife has made herself ready. And she obviously makes herself ready during the years measured out to her on earth in her human life. That's the time frame. The unwise virgins, the believers who go through life, do not pay the price to buy the oil. When they pass away, because they're saved, they go to paradise. They're with the Lord, just like that thief based upon their salvation. They're with the Lord. But when the bridegroom comes and all the believers are resurrected, a clear distinction will be made based upon how you lived. Do you now have a spirit-saturated soul or do you not? And some, the prudent ones, will have oil in their vessel. The others will not. And they'll say, give us. But there are certain things that cannot be given. They must be bought. So what will actually happen? And this is heartbreaking. The vast majority 
of redeemed, regenerated believers throughout the ages will not be invited to the marriage dinner of the Lamb because they're not part of the prepared bride. But after a thousand years, every believer will be matured and perfected. And therefore, every believer will be part of the wife for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. So our only option is this. Since the sovereign God has chosen us, predestinated us, we cannot change the outcome. The outcome is we will be part of the wife in the new heaven and the new earth. Our only option is when this happens. When? Does the preparation take place now? Or does the preparation take place later? And we will see that in these outlines, several matters will be mentioned but all of them permeated by a repeated emphasis on the developing of the first love. The bride needs to mature. The bride needs to be a building, a corporate person. The bride needs to have a wedding garment made of righteousnesses. That is not the garment with which the prodigal was clothed. That is Christ as objective righteousness. We'll consider this tonight probably. The bride must be beautified. Eventually in all of us, Song of Songs 4-7 will be fulfilled. The Lord will speak this to you personally. He says there, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no blemish in you. So the men brothers among us, we're going to have to get used to being part of the woman. And the man saying, You're altogether beautiful. The bride will be beautiful. And then something unusual will be an additional characteristic. She will be a warrior. Not a warrior. A warrior. Please get the vowel correct. So I have about 11 or 12 minutes remaining because we want always to give the brothers and sisters an opportunity to respond. So we just shorten the message. That's all right. It may be unusual, but it's okay. 45-minute message is all right. We can get the main point across. But here, we need to realize the bride is the goal of the Lord's recovery. Now, I'm just speaking in general. I'm not aiming this at anyone. I'm one of the co-workers. I just wonder how many of today's co-workers and full-timers realize that the goal of the Lord's recovery is the bride. 
Is that what governs their gospel work? Their increase? Their establishing of churches? Their shepherding of the saints? Their teaching of the truth? Their ministry of life? Is it? We shouldn't answer flippantly. Oh yeah, no. Will the Lord bear witness? Will God bear witness on your behalf? Can you say, God is my witness that the goal of the Lord's recovery, the bride, is my goal. Right now, God will witness with your spirit. This can't just be words on a page. Brother Nee realized this. Brother Lee to whom we are indebted for the spiritual understanding, spoke this. The bride is the goal of the Lord's recovery. Of course, first, we have to save people for the bride. We need to care for them for the bride. We need to bring them into the church life for the bride. We need to practice this very intriguing and interesting church life for the bride. We need to grow in life for the bride. But when anyone loses their first love, you don't care for the bride. You care more for your work than for the bridegroom himself. That is the beginning of degradation. The marriage of the Lamb is the issue of the completion of God's New Testament economy, which is to obtain for Christ a bride, the church, through his judicial redemption and by his organic salvation in his divine life. The Lord gave himself up on the cross for the bride, although there was no one who loved him. He realized that love will beget love in his believers. So we are redeemed and now we're being saved in life according to Romans 5.10 for the bride. That's the goal. Two, the Lord's recovery is for the preparation of the bride of Christ. This is what the Lord's recovery is for. Next year, we will have the elders training in Leipzig, Germany in October. Almost exactly to the day marking the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation, the great stage in the Lord's recovery. But that Reformation produced Sardis, Protestant churches that the Lord said, you didn't finish anything. You have a name that you're living, but you're dead. None of your works are finished before God. So, let's go back to Germany and finish it. Let's finish it. Because that's the goal. When the goal is clear, everything else is linked to it. I care for my health for the sake of the body who will become the bride. Not just out of a narcissistic 
preoccupation with my health, like so many in health clubs, the young adults. They're just motivated by self-love. That's why they lift weights in front of full-length mirrors. <clears throat> but everything we do, humanly and spiritually, is with the goal in view. But it's only the overcomers that will be the bride in the first stage in Revelation 19. All the overcomers will be the New Jerusalem as the bride of Christ for 1,000 years in this initial and fresh stage. Eventually, okay, if you choose the option of eventually, you may have this assurance, all the believers will join the overcomers to consummate and complete the New Jerusalem in full as the wife of Christ in the new heaven and new earth for eternity. So we will all be part of the wife. The question is, when? And that will be decided on whether, during our sojourn on earth, we prepare. This, maybe you heard this, but just let me give an account of the conversation between Susan and our daughter on January 31st, when my daughter was with her in the ER bay, knowing everything is critical. She said, Mom, are you ready to meet the Lord? <clears throat> and Susan, always noted for straightforward responses to anything, and straightforward speaking, whether you wanted it or not, said, Becky, during my whole life, I've been getting ready to meet the Lord. Of course, I'm ready. So I just have to take her at her word. The Lord will decide for all of us. Three, the corporate Christ, Christ with his overcoming bride, will come as a stone. Because the stone is a corporate person. We'll see in the last message, the bride will be the warrior, okay, with an A, an experienced fighter. But now the same person will come as a stone to crush the aggregate of human government <clears throat> to bring in God's kingdom. I mean, aren't we living in the wackiest election season of your lifetime? I've been watching this stuff since 1952. I mean, what, what on earth is going on? So I have settled my vote. I vote for the throne. <laughs> I can only vote for God. I, <laughs> this is not a political statement. It's an expression of exasperation. <laughs> but also of hope that the Lord will come back and establish the kingdom. Well, as Daniel 2 speaks of Christ coming as a stone cut without hands, Revelation 19 speaks of Christ coming as the one who has his bride as his army. So it's the same thing. So you've got to have the bride in order to have the army and the stone. The bride is the key. In Ephesians 5 and 6, 
we see the church as the bride and the warrior. In Revelation 19, we also have these two aspects of the church. During the late 60s, when there were all these anti-war protests, someone wore t-shirts that that said, make love, not war. So my t-shirt is, love and war. Love the bridegroom and fight with the commander in chief. Okay? On the day of his wedding, Christ will marry his bride, the overcomers, who have been fighting the battle against the enemy for years. We'll see, this is part of our preparation. Okay? And the Lord will perfect us, He will supply us. You don't have to do this all by yourself. Before Christ descends to earth to deal with Antichrist and the totality of human government, he will have a wedding, uniting his overcomers to himself as one entity. This is the priority. I don't know all the books circulating on prophecy, but I haven't heard of one, I haven't discovered one, that informs the believers, Christ is coming as the bridegroom. You have to get ready. You have to get ready. Everyone's intrigued with, oh, oh, the Antichrist. Oh, is it so-and-so in Spain? Is it this person? Is it that person? And he's coming to deal with human government. He is, but before that, he will have a wedding. Come on. Don't you want to be in the wedding? When I pray a simple prayer like this, a personal prayer, it's not selfish. Lord, I want to be in the wedding, so please grant me the mercy and grace to be ready for the wedding. Then he will unite his overcomers to himself as one person. Oh, what an hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet. I have no idea what he will say. But do you think he will be formal and polite when the bride is there and say, yeah. How do you do? I am your, I am the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> if, if I read Song of Songs, you know, Song of Songs begins and ends with a kiss. Do you know that? Chapter 1, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Chapter 8, the seeker says, if I see you without, that, that means raptured outside of the flesh, I will kiss you. So the scripture is saying, <clears throat> the lover is saying, Lord, if I'm raptured, I will kiss you. You think the Lord will stand there stiff, stiffly as she, she kisses on the cheek? Song of Songs says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I hope you don't feel uneasy about this, but our God is very, very romantic. And he's going to join, unite these overcomers to himself as one entity. After his wedding, he will come with his newly married bride to destroy Antichrist. You know, the dear sisters, the wives, when there's a special occasion, often they ask for what should I wear? 
So maybe the bride will ask, dear, what should I wear when I go to Armageddon? And he will say, dear, just what you have on. Your wedding garment is your uniform. So let's just go and take care of this. The Lord Jesus, the Word of God, will slay Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, by the breath of his mouth. Out of Christ's mouth proceeds a sharp sword that with it he might smite the nations. Then after crushing the human government, God will have cleared up the entire universe. Then the corporate Christ, Christ with his overcomers, will become a great mountain to fill the whole earth, making the whole earth God's kingdom. So the stone will become the mountain. Okay, so now you have the kingdom on the earth, human government abolished, the enemy destroyed. All of this is crucial. But before any of that happens, there's a wedding. Because that's what is most in the Lord's heart. Yes, we want Him to solve the problems, to deal with all the chaos, all the lawlessness. It's unbearable even to hear about it. But what needs to be in our heart first is, Lord, You are our bridegroom. We have no other Lord, life, or lover than Thou, Lord Jesus, our bridegroom. Tis but a moment now. Soon, our Lord Bridegroom, thou soon will return to claim thy bride. And then he needs to sense a longing in us. If we just say, when we're emotionally stirred up, we're kind of inspired, come Lord Jesus, that means something. But not too much. Because the Lord knows where it comes from. But when the bride turns her whole being to the bridegroom and says, I long for your coming. I long to marry you. That will move his heart. So this is our first little message. And we have about 11 minutes. And I'm wondering if, if 8 to 10 of us might take 45 seconds to a minute to please confirm this word. The word needs confirmation. So, would you please do this? Would eight or ten follow the anointing and just give a word, 45 seconds to a minute, to confirm, to endorse what we've just shared? Okay, I'll leave that up to you. You ready? Ready? 